Now, in Isaiah chapter 54, Isaiah 54. Comfort my people. That's what uh, we start off the second uh, section of Isaiah with. We said that Isaiah roughly follows, the pattern of Isaiah roughly follows the pattern of the Bible. The first 39 chapters deal with the judgment and deal with uh, um, with. Uh, God dealing with the nations. And of course, that's a, uh, we have 39 uh, books of the Old Testament. And then the next 27 chapters deal with, uh, uh, with God's, the coming Messiah and with, uh, with comfort and the love of the, the kingdom age. And so, of course, that's uh, 27 chapters and that's, we have 27 books of the New Testament. And so it's interesting how that goes. We said that also you can divide uh, the last 27 chapters into three different sections. You had, uh, and this, uh, uh, these are all notes if anybody wants them. I've got notes in the past, plus we got it on the internet if you'd like to go back and look at some of these uh, passages as we've been preaching through this. But uh, uh, we have the first nine chapters, 40, uh, 40 through 48, that... Um, deal with the superiority of God over any other gods. And then you have the servant savior, which we are now in, in the next nine chapters. And then you have the sovereign king of the universe that we'll see in the last nine chapters from 58 through, what, 66. And so we'll see that uh, that has, but then we said those 27 chapters, the first 13 chapters deal with the servant, and chapter, uh, and then the last, uh, the, the last thirteen chapters deal again with the servant king, but uh, the, and right in the middle of that we saw was Isaiah fifty three, which is the middle chapter. And the middle verse, of course, was well, the lamb that was slain, and we looked at uh, extensively at how that that's the very theme of the Bible is the is atonement by blood, and the major character of the Bible is the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. And so that's the whole theme of the Bible, all in a nutshell, in the book of Isaiah. Now, in saying that, we looked extensively at the doctrines that just are, I mean, almost every passage, almost every line of Isaiah 53 is quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. It's the basis of the New Testament, atonement by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, how that he will, how that he's redeemed many and uh, that uh, it pleased the Lord to bruise him and that uh, he will divide the portion with the strong. In other words, he's coming again one day in uh, his inheritance who for the joy that was set before him despised the cross or he uh, uh, bore the cross and uh, despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand of God. So we see his exaltation there. And then we see, so we see the whole plan of salvation as far as man is concerned. I've got a tickle in my throat this morning, folks. I'm sorry about that, but let's see what I can do about it. <clears throat> but um, the, we see that um, what a great passage that we have in Isaiah 53. It's a somber passage, but then we see uh, uh, just, just the opposite as we go into chapter 54. And chapter 54 and chapter 55 have some of the sweetest passages and one of the strongest passages in all the Bible 
of an invitation to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. In fact, we'll be looking at chapter 55, some of the great passages, uh, great words that are there. All through the book of Isaiah, we've said that there's a lot of little statements that wind up in our uh, English language or little phrases like a drop in the bucket or whatever. Those are all terms that come from Isaiah. But there was one that really got me this past uh, couple of weeks where there, and, and, and we know that politicians and everybody kind of, they know a little bit about the Bible. They know just enough to hang themselves with it usually. But uh, uh, they will quote something, you know, uh, they think from the Bible and uh, make it sound like they're pretty smart or whatever. Well, we had a politician a couple of weeks ago that uh, just was caught in all kinds of immorality with the married person and all that. And uh, since she was uh, pretty well known, she went to a church and she used a passage that we're looking at this morning. And, uh, and of course, she never, she didn't admit that she was wrong or that she was an adulterer or anything like that. And, uh, and uh, there was no uh, remorse at all. In fact, there was a lot of defiance. But she said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's verse 17 of uh, the chapter we're looking at this morning. Uh, I looked that up in the internet, and I found that there's a lot of people that like to quote that verse. I could get the verse, but they changed the word you to me. And they use that, no weapon against me shall prosper. And it's like those little uh, bumper stickers you see, never fear or no fear. Or, you know, I am, you know... Uh, I am my own or I forget all the different terms. I should have written some of them down. But all these things about how that, uh, that we're confident and I'm the master of my fate, the captain of my soul, captain of my fate, master of my soul, all these different things. And so they use terms that from the Bible. And of course, she's not the only one. I mean, you name, everybody does it. And so I'm not downing one person. I just caught my ear because that's what, what I'm preaching on today. And she just happened to be the guinea pig. But, you know, there again is uh, that's the way people do. They go to, they know just enough about the Word of God to quote something they think that makes them sound pretty smart. Well, let's look at it this morning and see that is a promise to you and me. That uh, if, you, if you're a child of God, we'll look at who that promise belongs to. And so we'll begin in chapter 54, after 53, of course, that great somber chapter about the Lord Jesus coming and being slain for our sins and bearing the sins of many. And then the, the mood changes. It's a big gap between the mood of chapter 53 and now look at chapter 54. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth with singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen the, your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. My, what a difference between chapter 53 and chapter 54. That's the reason it confuses so many uh, people 
that didn't accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. How could he be talking about bearing the sins of us all and now all of a sudden rejoicing in that one day there's going to be a different, uh, a different world for the nation of Israel? Now, let's go back and look at the, uh, at, at the, the timing of what's happening we know that Isaiah is writing during the time, the last days of Hezekiah, maybe even to uh, Manasseh, but he's writing about a hundred years before Israel's going to fall to the Babylonians. But he names the Babylonians that are going to conquer him, and he even later on names the Persian king, Cyrus names him by name about how he's going to be allowing them to come back. That'd be about 150 to 300 years or 200 years in advance. So he tells them all these things that are going to happen, but he tells them you're going to go through some very deep problems. You're, this, this nation or this city is going to be destroyed. And that's all the judgment that comes in chapter 39 uh, up to chapter, chapters 1 through 39. And then some parts of chapter 40, where that's where he even names a, uh, uh, King Cyrus of Persia, who's going to let him come back into the land. And so all this is, is pre-written history. That it's 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ, we see Isaiah 53. And so, my, what a kaleidoscope of the future that's all poured out there before us. And the one thing I love about it is when they went back and did those, uh, they said, this couldn't be true because this had to be written, the, you know, somewhere around the time of Christ. Nobody could have believed all this. And uh, then they find the Dead Sea Scrolls written about 250 to 300 years before the time of Christ. And uh, the Isaiah was the major book that was left. And so we see that uh, uh, this was a long time before the time of Christ that this happened. And so uh, we see that this was pre-written history. But now he goes from, and remember what we saw, said that uh, the Lord knows the end from the beginning? Well, here we see that he is showing us something's going to happen in the future. Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross for our sins. But then he, tell, then he goes on and he tells us about the end. And so he's going all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We looked at the Lamb of God all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And now he's going to go all the way in into the thousand-year reign of Christ and even beyond into the eternal glory of Israel and Jerusalem into heaven. Boy, that's a big, that's a big jump within one chapter, isn't it? But so we see that he is talking to them. He's talking to some people now then that's like you and me. Are things the Bible tells us that in the last days before the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, things are going to get worse and worse. Are they getting worse and worse? Uh, is there a great falling away? Is there a great apostasy of the church today? Is there all kinds of problems going on in our society that we're wondering if we're going to survive? Are there? I just saw this past uh, yesterday that uh, uh, they're really concerned about uh, a, uh, everything's falling together for the perfect storm for us to have food shortages within the next couple of years. It's kind of scary, isn't it? That's why I went back. When I saw that, I went over to Sam's and got me some extra beans. But, uh, you know, uh, they're good. But you go over to Sam's and, boy, they have all these big sacks of them because people are worried about it, aren't they? 
And so uh, there again, we realize that uh, this whole world is getting worse and worse. And we as Christians might go through some pretty bad stuff before the Lord comes. I hope not. I want the Lord to come today. I want to be the, as I said, I want to be, when I get to heaven, I want to be part of the rapture generation. We'll be the one generation, if the Lord comes today, you and I will be one of the few people in all eternity from Adam to whoever else that uh, will never have died physically. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, to be up there with Enoch and Elijah, boy, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Hey, Enoch and Elijah and us, boy, that'd be fantastic. But if that doesn't happen, folks, we're going to go through some rough times. And this is what was happening with Israel. You, I'm, uh, can you imagine being a mother or a dad? And, uh, you, and all of a sudden you're hearing Isaiah preaching. He's saying this nation is going to be captured. And Israel is going to be destroyed. And you're going to be, thrown, you're going to be taken into captivity. And it's going to be bad. Habakkuk later on. Lord, how in the world can you allow these things to be going on? Don't worry, Habakkuk. I got the Babylonians. He told Habakkuk to. And oh, Habakkuk said, wait a minute, Lord. Those are pretty mean people. And they were. He said, you're going to go through some real rough times. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, begged the people. But he said, my people are willfully ignorant. They want, I mean, they were, they wanted to be ignorant. And so we see that uh, the, the handwriting was on the wall. And yet the people, of, the people were so blind. As Isaiah said back in, or the Lord told Isaiah back in chapter 6. Seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear. And so that we are in that, in that position today, are we not? Now, that's not all bad because, folks, the Lord, Isaiah gives, and by the way, I've read the last chapter of the Bible. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, folks. Amen? It's not a train coming your way either. So it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's something where we're going to be on the train going that way because and this is what God is doing now. He tells us about the coming Messiah somber. I mean, he bore the sins of many and, he, and he, on him uh, he was laid the iniquity of us all. And we talked about iniquity being uh, sick in the head. That's what the way uh, Isaiah talked about it in Isaiah chapter 1. And now we see that, um, that now he goes into the last pages and he talks about what's going to happen with Israel ultimately. Now, one thing, Israel's coming back to the land. That was back in Isaiah, we saw earlier, where, yeah, they will come back to the land. But there's coming a day, for folks, when Israel is going to really come back to the land. Now, by the way, they're there now, and they won't go away. But it's going to get a whole lot better for them. And that's what God is saying here. And so we want to look at this. So he's saying, first of all, break forth with singing. Uh, you have... Uh, You've not labored with child. He goes on, he says, basically, he says, you're going to have more children than you have today. Uh, that are going to be, I mean, right now, of course, that was the nation. He said, yet yeah, you're going to be scattered all over the world, but there'll be more in population than there are in Israel today, then. Um, 
I understand now, I, I think I got my, I, I heard this, I should have written it down, but I think there is, is it, uh, I think it's 14.4 million they've done a consensus of Jews in the world today. Uh, about, four, is it 14.4 or 140, whatever, 14.4 million. Uh, and somebody said, you know, really, and then they've estimated that about a tenth of those, and by the way, we're going to have a lady who's going to be going to Jerusalem as a missionary. She's going to be with us next week uh, during the morning service. But, uh, uh, but she uh, is working with a group of people, a man named John Gartenhouse out of, uh, of uh, Tennessee, that got saved back uh, about 125 years ago and has had a mission to, to Israel ever since. Well, about, it's been estimated that about 1% of Jews in America, or Jews in the world today are Christians. Well, if you go with 14.4 uh, of 1%, that makes uh, 144,000. But uh, no, but you know, let's no, not get into that. But you know, it's just interesting, the numbers you can play around with, with, uh, with that thinking. And so we see that uh, God says there's coming a day when Israel is going to be restored and the children um, are going to no more be desolate. Uh, notice that the, in verse, 20, in verse 2, the place of your tent, that's a, your dwelling, you're going to need to expand it. And you're going to need more land. And by the way, this is what he's basically alluding to. If you go back, and we won't take time this morning, and that's one reason I only gave you a brief outline, because I'm giving you so much that I can't put it all down on one paper. So I said, I'm not going to give anything but an outline, and you can go back and look at some of this yourself. But, uh, but, Isaiah, but the Lord, the boundaries that he gave Abraham were not where Israel is today, just on the west side of the Jordan. But one day, Israel is going to stretch from the Nile to the Euphrates River. Has that happened yet? No. Will it happen? As we said, if it hasn't happened, folks, it will happen. Right? So he's obviously talking about something that's going to happen later on. And that's going to be during the time of, of course, the millennium that we, we know later on. And so we see that, hey, folks, it's going to get better. And so, uh, so think about that 1% of the Jews that are saved today. What are they looking forward to? Not as, as individuals, they're looking forward to heaven. But as far as our nation is concerned, they're looking forward to the promises of Abraham, to Abraham. And so he says, and your descendants will inherit the nations. Where's the capital of the world going to be? Jerusalem. Later on, where's the capital of the universe going to be? Jerusalem. And so we see that, uh, so now, now in saying that, then he talks, and he really talks, I think sometimes it went, I've understood that many times, this, this passage really is a, a passage for women who have been forsaken. And many have gotten comfort from it. He says, do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you uh, will not be put to shame. And of course, Israel was put to shame because she was an unfaithful wife, but or, but to, uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, because your mother was or whatever, that you have to be that way. But he says, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of the widowhood anymore. A widow, of course, was, a, was a, almost a helpless person. 
That's why that girl, whenever she lost that little coin that she had in her headpiece that the Lord talked about, she looked all over the place, but of course, that was her dowry. That was all the money she had. And so if she lost it, I mean, if something happened to her husband, she didn't have a whole lot left over. And so here we see that uh, the widowhood uh, was, a, was almost a ticket to, to famine. And so we see that he says, uh, you, well, but then notice what he says to her. Notice the terms that he uses for the Lord. And there's, he says, your maker is your husband. Are you a bride of Christ, folks? Are we child of God? Are we, who's our, who's our maker? Is the one, our heavenly father, as well as our husband as a church. It is, now he's talking to a nation. As a church, who's our husband? The Lord Jesus Christ. As an individual, who's our father? God the father. So you see what we're talking about here. And this basically, he says, uh, your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts, the armies of heaven. We've looked at that term before, is his name. He's your redeemer. And that term goes back to a Hebrew term that is used all through the book of Ruth, where the kinsman redeemer came and saved Ruth from her poverty. And that's what God is for us, isn't he? He saves us out of our poverty. The Holy One of Israel, the God, notice he is the God of what? The whole earth. Praise the Lord. And so, folks, that's the reason uh, I'm so glad he put that in there. That, that, that means it includes me, not just the Jew. In both Jew and Gentile, we see that he introduces. By the way, the church is engrafted in to the family of God. In Revelation chapter 12, we see that uh, the woman who was the Jewish nation was, was, or was, uh, was with child, and she bore a son. And of course, Mary was a Jew, and she bore a son. And of course, he's the savior of the world, is he not? And so Christianity came out of the very womb of Ju- Judaism, or not Judaism, but of the nation of Israel. Judaism's a whole different religion. But uh, so we see that he says of the whole earth, for the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieving in spirit, like a youthful wife who, who was jilted at her wedding. Can, can you think of anything lower than that for a woman? I was listening to a Jew one time and she was saying when she was in the concentration camp, she said, it, we just realized that's the way we were all treated. But she got out of the concentration camp, married a man, came to the United States, and he forsook her. And he said, I can tell you that that hurts a lot worse than being in a concentration camp because it's impersonal. You're just a Jew in a concentration camp. But when somebody really tells you they love you and forsakes you, it's a whole different ballgame. I'll put that in my words. But isn't that true? I mean, the personal rejection is about the worst thing that could happen to a person, whether man or woman. And he says, uh, like a youthful, but I have forsaken you. And we're going to see that in a moment. Uh, for a mere moment, as a nation, I've turned away from you because you've left me. 
Who left who? Israel left God. And Ephraim has joined himself to idols. Let him alone. So you've joined? Okay, I'll let you go that route for a while. But I made some promises to your great-granddaddy, Abraham, that I've got to fulfill because it's impossible for me to lie. It's a no matter how bad you get, I've made some promises and I'm going to fulfill them. Isn't that great? I mean, that's, that gives me hope as a Christian. Boy, I don't know why the Lord would keep me saved after I was saved. I mean, I look back. The older I get, the more I realize I'm a sinner. I mean, I used to think I was pretty good. Now, you know, just a couple of minutes and, uh, you know, Lord, forgive this, forgive that, and I'm a pretty good guy. Now I look back and say, oh, man, I didn't realize. Any of you have that type of problem? No. No, we all do. The older we get, the more we realize. That's the reason your sin, uh, oh, if my good could outweigh my bad. The older I get, the more I realize how bad I am or was and am going to be or whatever. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And there's a perfect God in heaven that looks down on a very perfect person. And he loves me in spite of who I am. And so this is, so first of all, we see that uh, Israel is going to uh, expand in land. We see the confusion is going to be taken away. And we see that relationship in verses is going to be restored. In verses uh, 9 and 10, we see the promise of the stability that God never changes. For like the waters, for he says, for this is like the waters of Noah to me. Noah? For I have sworn, there's another promise. What did God promise? What did the rainbow, uh, he says, the water of Noah no longer would cover the earth. So I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you forever. Okay. So uh, what did Noah promise? What did God promise Noah? I'm not worried about global warming, folks. I wish the ocean would rise and take care of some of these rich people's houses along the coast. All these liberals? No, I, no, 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 I don't. But you know, I mean, if he can just came in and, you know, if, if uh, we had a, uh, if it did rise and take care of New York and California, maybe we would change our whole elections. No, I don't want that. But you know, there again, that's not going to happen. Because God says he set the boundaries. Are there going to be places like Venice or whatever, the, you know, the places over there that, yeah, that's going to happen. But I'm not worried about uh uh, deep sea fishing in Chicago anytime soon, folks. Because God said it's not going to happen. And isn't it interesting how that there again, what's the one thing that the devil has taken as a promise to God's people and turned it into something that is totally perverted? That's, that every time you see it, it should remind you of God, but now it reminds you of perversion. What is it? The rainbow. Isn't it interesting how Satan takes what God does and changes it? And so we see, uh, he says, for the mountains shall depart and the hills shall be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. I mean, doesn't matter if Mount St. Helens falls or anything else. My kindness and my love for Israel, and by extension, any child of God, will never depart. Aren't you glad you have a stable God like that? 
a God who changes not? And so he says, for you shall not covet uh, for my covenant. And a covenant is something that's unbreakable. He says, for my covenant of peace, uh, nor will my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord. So a great day is coming, folks. The Prince of Peace is coming. Now, very quickly, we, had, we go on. It's very difficult to sometimes to outline some of these great passages because they're poetry. And poetry is very difficult for me to outline. And so we said this is one big long, uh, poetic passage, 27 chapters. But uh, this is poetry. And so he just went from chapter 53, which was a, uh, a verse or a stanza, to chapter 54, which is just the opposite. And so it's very difficult. But to, let's go on. Verse 11, we see now the promises of eternal glory. And he's skipping over all of the church age. We don't see that here. But now he's skipping over and telling us what it's going to be like. And you say, well, wait a minute. It sounds like heaven. Is he talking about uh, uh, the millennial period? Or is he talking about the, the eternal glory? Which one is he talking about? Yes. <laughs> he's, talking, he's looking into the kaleidoscope. He's not defining each one of them yet. He's just saying glory is coming to Israel. And we know it's coming in two ways. First of all, the millennium, and secondly, the eternal glory in heaven, the streets of gold and so forth. But we see that he says in verse 11, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. No comfort to my people knows how he's, he's saying better days are coming. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires and uh, pinnacles with rubies and gates of crystal. Where does the, what does that sound like? Revelation chapter 12, doesn't it? So one day Israel is going to be glorified. Now, will that, some of that be true in the millennial kingdom? Yes, I think Israel is going to be adorned during that thousand-year reign of Christ when this the nation... But we see that uh, he says, and, all, and notice I like this in verse 13, and all your children shall be taught of God. Now we have a, uh, we're living in a society today that says you can't teach children anything about God. It's got to be taken out of our Christian. Now we're going to teach you all kinds of perversions, but we can't, we're not going to teach you anything about God. Isn't it interesting how that, is that they're trying to constrict Israel to a land mass, and God says one day they're going to have a, a lot bigger land mass. Uh, they're constricting us as far as what we can teach, and yet God says one day I'm going to teach your children. Better days coming, aren't they? It's interesting how Satan tries to do just the opposite of what God says is going to happen. And so we see as he goes on, he says, And great shall be the peace of your children. Boy, I wish that was the case today. Our kids are so confused. They don't know. I talked to my own kids, and now they're raising kids. And there's so much stuff out there, folks. It's so confusing. What the, how do you teach your kids? How do you let them play with the kid next door? I mean, I, there was a time, and we were stinkers, and it wasn't good. I mean, it wasn't always good. But I remember all, we, all of us old timers, we talked about, you know, our parents would get on a bicycle and say goodbye, mom, about one o'clock in the afternoon, wouldn't come home to supper time. Wasn't that good times? I mean, we were just in and out of people's houses. No houses, no doors were locked. Anybody remember that? Many of you do. 
Uh, that's uh, now you take your kid to school with, uh, and uh, now they're teaching uh, ladies taking the kids to school to, to pack iron, right? I mean, we're really getting into a whole different ball game. But uh, isn't want to be good when God teaches the children, or when man teaches children what God has taught them? Isn't it interesting how it brings peace? But when it's taken away, there is no peace, saith my Lord, to the wicked. So here, and we'll see that at the end of this uh, nine chapter verse, he'll say that again in uh, chapter 57. But he says, um, he says, indeed, surely you assemble, but, uh, but not because of me. Whosoever assembles against me uh, shall fall for your sake. In other words, now there's protection. And we look all through history and we're seeing, yes, did Israel go through some horrible times? But did God always deliver Israel? You think about uh, uh, later on, just, uh, just a few years later, Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Did God uh, deliver three children out of the furnace? Did God deliver Daniel out of the lion's den? Did God deliver Ezra from all the enemies so he could build a temple? Did God deliver uh, Nehemiah from Sanballat and all the people who tried to keep him from building the wall? Did God deliver Esther in spite of what Haman was trying to do in genocide? Did God deliver Israel even from Hitler? You know, back in, that's a fabulous study. Back in 1918, Israel was told, you can go back to the land. I mean, the Balfour, it was the British saying, hey, listen, uh, if anybody in Europe wants to go back and they could uh, go back to the land of Israel. Nobody wanted to go back to Israel. Because Israel was, I mean, the people in Europe, and I mean, they were too wealthy. They had ghettos. A ghetto was a place that they tried to persecute the Jews in the Middle Ages and restrict them to their movement. And all they could be was in ghettos around uh, the cities. And guess what? The ghettos became the richest places in town. I mean, everything they tried to do uh, was just the opposite. Now, the ghetto in America is a whole lot different than the ghettos in Europe. But uh, just everything they did. And even Hitler. Did Hitler fall? And when Hitler and when Germany was placed under the Iron Curtain and everything, Israel was born and flourished. So we see that uh, no name. And by the way, folks, Hamas and all the rest are going to meet their day one day. I don't know how, and I'm not going to be a predictor. And I don't want to get into the politics over here in America. We're so confused, we don't know which end is up. I mean, it's like someone said, like a termite and a yo-yo. You're so mixed up, you don't know what to do. But uh, there again, we are a very confused nation. But guess what? God's not confused. Amen? So we can trust that. Now, as we get into the last section, notice now he says, Behold, I have created By the way, who created you? Did you evolve? If you evolve, then that means that we're still evolving. And we hear that in politics today. I've evolved into this belief. I've evolved into the belief that uh, a, a man could be a woman. It doesn't matter how much you evolve. God created you. But if you can evolve, then your mind is, is really becoming God. 
But uh, there again, no, there's, he created you. And as a result, he created the blacksmith and the coals of fire. And of course, he talked, that goes back to those who went into worshiping idols. He said, I created the very materials that that blacksmith made. But notice he says, and I have created, uh, and I have created the spoil to destroy. So whatever I've made, I can destroy. Then we get into that verse. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Talking about the nation of Israel. Now, does it mean that no nation uh, or no uh, weapon uh, formed against me shall prosper? As we see in these bumper stickers and all that. Under certain conditions. But that's not a universal phrase. The question is, who is he talking to? Of course, he's talking originally to the nation of Israel, but to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, to the Gentile. Notice who, it is, who he is talking to. The Christian, the person, Jew or Gentile, and every tongue who rises against you in judgment. So all the slander is not going to prosper. Uh, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of whom? The servants of the Lord. This is your heritage if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. But there's no peace, saith my Lord, to the wicked. Because notice the very next verse. And their righteousness is from me. Their righteousness is from me. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For he was made to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So where does our righteousness come from? It comes from God when he declares us righteous, when we come to him and we bow our heads and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And the Lamb of God, the blood of the Lamb, washes us whiter than snow. And we become a child of God to as many as received him. To them gave me the power to be called a child of God. And so this promises, promises to whosoever will believe. And so if I'm in God's, if I'm in God's family, then I have these certain protections. Now, will it get rough? Does that not mean that I won't have slander? Does it not mean that I won't have other weapons that are formed against me that can be very severe? No, we see that back and we've been going through for several weeks now, uh, Psalm 119, and that man was under constant pressure. And yet he learned more and more how to trust God. And by the way, he's in heaven today and his detractors, unless they got saved, guess where they are? And so can God take care of you and me during these rough times? We see lawfare and we hear uh, all kinds of our rights are being taken away today. Can God still protect us today? If folks, even if it happens, then it's not going to happen for very long because the Lord's coming pretty soon. Amen? Just for a moment, as he says here. So it might get rough. Like it, but can you imagine being a Jew, hearing that your country's going to be destroyed, your family's going to be taken to, to, to a, a foreign land, and, all, and you're not... And boy, that would be scary, wouldn't it? But the great thing about it is 
uh, the Lord saying, I'm going to tell you the, the last chapter. And so he says, no, that's the thing that says the Lord. I love that. Your righteousness is from me, says the Lord. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, that's not the case. God says it, that settles it. Doesn't matter what you believe. Now, if you believe it, it sure helps settle it. But if you don't believe it, then you got problems. And not every weapon formed against you is going to prosper because the biggest weapon you've got is that the Bible tells us that God resists the proud. That means he marshals his armies, his weapons against you. But he gives grace to the humble. And so, yes, I want God to protect me. I want God to watch over me. But it's because I walk with the Lord and he's my shepherd and he can lead me through the paths, even through the, the shadow, the valley, the shadow of death. And I don't need to fear any evil because who is with me? He is with me. And so, yes, we're going to have some trials, folks. Government might be coming down on us. In fact, there are uh, statements today that uh, there's a, a school in Maine. And I was a uh, I had a Christian school in the church in Michigan for a while. Uh, when I got there, we, well, I won't get into all that, but uh, there again. But now in Maine, they're already saying that if you don't teach this curriculum in your Christian school, then we will take away your tax exempt status. Um, and they're talking about this DEI and all this kind of perversions that are being taught in school. Now, those things are coming. We have been so free haven't we as a nation? I want that, and I hope that we still are. I mean, I'm, I'm not a martyr. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't want, and I'm not a pessimist. And yet, I am a realist. And, uh, and folks, uh, how many times do we hear it might be unsustainable the way we're going today? The national debt, all kinds of things, China. But no, folks, no matter what happens, God tells me that he's with me. And that in the end, I'm going to have victory. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can death, nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, can anything separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the covenant that God has made with those. And folks, God promised you something. If you came unto him, he will in no wise cast out. It's impossible for God to lie. And you're as safe as, safer than any mountain. Mountains can move, but God will never move. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. And it will never return void. We'll see that in the next chapter. But God has promised you eternal life. And no weapon, everything that Satan throws at you, one day you'll be able to smile at Satan's rage and face a frowning world as we sing. God's good, isn't he? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the confidence and the comfort that we can have in knowing you as our Savior. And we know, Lord, one day you're going to, uh, all the problems that are going on with Israel today are going to be satisfied. And you're going to rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years and then over the universe for eternity. And both Jew and Gentile are going to worship you together. Lord, we realize it's going to be as too many as received you 
that can call and have the authority to call you Father and Savior and Lord. And so, Lord, we pray today as we see the days growing darker and darker and we don't know what's going to happen today, but we know the, the end because you tell us the end. And that's one day we're going to be with you forever. So, Lord, lead us through the paths of righteousness and the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Even if those paths go through the valley of the shadow of death, may we realize, Lord, that you are with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us and that you'll prepare for us a table, even in the presence of our enemies. Bless your people, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.